take thou authority to preach the gospel. Indeed, I look upon all the world as my parish. Welcome to Field Preachers Podcast. I'm your host, Beth S. Stock, and today I have the honor to talk with Alan Stanton, who is the executive director of the Turner Center at Martin Methodist College and is also an ordained minister in the United Methodist Church. His background is in rural ministry, and um, he was actually the Rural Faith Communities Fellow at the Institute for Emerging Issues, which is a public policy think tank at North Carolina State University. Alan has recently written a book called Reclaiming Rural, Building Thriving Rural Congregations. And um, this book, I've heard about this book from um, pastors all over the country saying, wow, this book is a game changer. So I was like, wow, I need to contact Alan so that uh, we can listen to some of his wisdom on this podcast. So in this book, Alan explores the myths and realities of rural places and how those common narratives impact the leadership of rural churches. And one of the reasons why I particularly like um, his book is because he really focuses on um, how do we look at rural ministry in a more comprehensive way as it can provide um, a really beautiful expression of the realm of God in the midst of life in a rural community. So Alan, welcome. Look forward to hearing about your story. And I think the first question I wanna ask you today is what actually prompted you to write this book? That's a really great question. Um, So before I answer that, I have to say one thing. So my wife is our chief marketing communications officer and about six months ago, our college transitioned into the University of Tennessee system. And so we're no longer Martin Methodist College, but the University of Tennessee Southern. And I have to always add that because um, I don't want to sleep on the couch when I get home. Um, (laughs) So, which has been a really interesting transition for us. Um, So what prompted me to write the book? I, I think it was a little bit of frustration with the way we think about rural churches, the way we talk about rural churches. Um, I can remember as a seminarian, I went to Duke Divinity School on a thriving rural communities fellowship. And um, what the fellowship stipulated, it was a full scholarship program. And what they stipulated was that we would serve in a rural parish upon graduation for a period of time. And I remember telling people that, and there was this look of people saying like, you know, is that really what you want to do with your life? Um, Wouldn't you rather put yourself on a good trajectory starting at like a large church or um, wouldn't you rather serve someplace where there's a meaningful ministry? And so I, I was always sort of frustrated with that reaction to rural congregations and rural and rural um, communities. And, and the other thing is that there's just not a lot of resources for rural churches. So the, one of the things I perpetually hear and when I'm talking to rural pastors and talking to rural lady is that the resources we have from our denomination, the resources we have in theology and practical theology, they're not really designed for the rural context. They're designed and written by people in suburban churches and large membership churches and urban places. Um, They even borrow from, you know, urban development and urban planning um, and take some of those tactics and apply them to rural communities, but they're not really for 
these churches. And so people get really frustrated and there's just a lot of frustration about what rural churches can be and who they are. So those are the two big motivations I had going into it. And then the third one, I guess, is always a hopefulness, right? I, um, I believe in rural churches. I, I came out of a rural church. I served rural churches. I live in a rural community now, and I believe in the possibility and the gifts of these churches. And I want people to see the possibility and the gifts of those places. Oh, thank you so much. Um, you know, being a pastor myself, um, I think that probably, I don't know, you probably have stats on this, but there must be a large percentage of people that have experience serving rural churches. I don't know the exact stats of it. I mean, the majority of our churches are rural, right? So in Tennessee, um, I think something around 60% of our churches are rural congregations. Um, There's similar stats in North Carolina, where I lived before here. Um, Most of our annual conferences have a really large rural areas, which means a lot of our churches are rural. Um, I mean, honestly, if you're serving in an appointment in the United Methodist Church, you're probably going to serve at some point in a rural parish. Um, It's just the majority of congregations out there. Alan, you talk a lot about the myths that um, we have concerning rural churches. And could you share with us some of some of the like top two or three myths that that kind of uh, shape and form the approach rural ministry? Absolutely. So there are two large myths we have about rural America as a whole, right? And these shape the way we understand and think about rural congregations. And so the first of those myths is, I like to call it the agrarian paradise, where we think about every rural community as a place full of farmers, where people are at one with each other and at one with the land, and they're like good, virtuous people, right? Um, We tell that story over and over. It goes all the way back to our founding history as a nation, when Thomas Jefferson would talk about rural people being like the antithesis of the British aristocracy. Um, because they were hardworking and humble and virtuous, whereas you know, the British aristocracy was none of those things, um, according to Thomas Jefferson. And so, like, we've carried this forward into today. And so we think about, you know, rural places are full of morality, right? And so that's one of the myths. Um, and there's good and bads to that. Uh, on the one hand, like, I, there are really strong community ties in rural places, and people tend to really connect with each other. Um, we carry that into the church, and we say things like, well, this church is really just a place where people love each other. And that's nice. Like, I really want churches to be a place where people love each other. On the flip side of that, we then tell pastors and we tell lay people, we don't expect much from you because you're just a place where people love each other, right? Um, So we don't expect you to do much more than love each other. And that's part of a church's mission, but it's not the entirety of the church's mission. And so you lose a lot of what's the potential for those congregations. The other extreme myth of this is we talk about rural communities as if they're places of perpetual decline, right? So we often hear things about how um, rural communities are dying and everyone is impoverished and um, everyone's poor. Even, you know, there's a really popular book, Hillbilly Elegy. It was written about rural Appalachia in particular and sort of extrapolated on all of rural America. His thesis in that book is that there's something innately in the culture of rural places that causes them to decline. Um, so, and there, there, you know, there are some things in rural places that are challenging. Um, we have, we need more access to healthcare. We need broadband, things like that. Um, but there are also a lot of really great strengths in rural communities. So one that I always like to throw out is that kids who grow up in rural communities, um, have a better chance at economic mobility. So if you're in 
at-risk, impoverished kid growing up in rural America, because of those strong social networks, you have more opportunities um, across your like economic life um, to grow in your economic mobility. So that's, I mean, those are really great strengths that we have to live into. And then when we talk about the church, the way that gets manifested is that we talk about churches as if they're uh, rural churches as if they're inherently declining. So when we think about church decline, right, we picture small membership rural churches. And when you read an article somewhere about dying churches, right, it's always the white country church, right? That's what we picture in our heads. Um, and so we leave out, you know, what is the role of a rural church? What is the opportunity of a rural church? How is it contributing to the life and the vitality of its community? Mm-hmm. So those two myths, I think, you know, part of the reason we can't really understand how to help rural churches is because we get trapped in those myths and we get trapped in those myths because we as a culture, as a wider national culture, really don't know what to do with rural communities as a whole anyway. We don't know how to talk about them. Yeah, I I really resonate with what you're saying. Um, You know, there's this sense of as a pastor, well, you're being appointed to a rural church. All you have to do is go there and love them. Right. And I remember my first district superintendent who, I mean, really was a great leader and I I have the utmost respect for him. Um, But I remember being told when I went to my first church, listen, you do a good job here three, four years maybe, and then we'll move you to a place where you can have a real ministry. And I just remember those two words like real ministry hitting me in the gut in a really bad way. Um, Because what was it about this congregation that they couldn't have a real ministry just because they were rural or just because we didn't understand them or just because they were small? Um, I, I don't believe any of that. Right. But uh, as you say, on the flip side of that, there is this sense um, when you're serving a rural church that there's a that, that the depth of community connection is a real asset. And um, coming together for worship is like a family reunion time every week. Um, so I love how you have talked about um what it is to grow up in rural America and the benefit of that. And how can we use those strong connections in a new way um, Mm -hmm. to uh, be the realm of God in the larger community? And I think even rural churches get caught in not being able to see that vision. I, I love visiting rural churches precisely because of that, because of that strong connection. Um, I, I joke sometimes that if I go to like a larger, larger suburban church, um, I, I kind of know what I could to expect, right? Like there's a, there's an order to the worship service that mm-hmm. is always going to be followed. Um, when I go to a rural church, there's always something that trips me up. And there's, whenever I guest preach at a rural church, like I just never know what to expect. And I remember visiting one church where, um, for the prayer, for the prayers of the people, the like, person leading the prayers literally stood at the front of the church. And went around, you know, all 40 people and, you know, said, like, Suzanne, what can we pray for you with this week? Right. Charlie, what what do you need us to pray for you about? And it wasn't the most accessible thing, right? Because if you're a visitor that day, you're going like, oh, I have to say, like, you're expected to say something. (laughs) You're expected to name a joy or a concern. On the flip side of that, there is something beautiful about it because you're saying, look, we're we're a community that prays. And if you want to be part of our community, you're going to be prayed for, and we're going to pray for other people. So on a, just a purely theological discipleship formation, like that's a really beautiful practice. Mm-hmm. And then when you think about the ability to take that, you know, in worship, but then outside of worship, what does it mean 
to help a student who, um, you know, imagine a student that wants to be an accountant one day or wants to grow up and understand something about business practice. What does it mean about to, to be able to put them on a finance committee at a young age and give them a leadership role in the congregation, not just to help out in the congregation, but to really form what their imagination might be and what their potential might be. Uh, when I think about my early leadership experiences, they were all in a committee in a church or in Boy Scouts. And I still carry those lessons now that I'm running a center at a college, right? Like, so those are not just one-off moments or they're not just feel good things. Like those are deeply formational and they can transform, you know, a student, a, a person, a community. I mean, it can really have a transformational impact. So Alan, let's talk now about what your vision is of congregations in rural America, what they could be and what you're seeing unfolding in the churches that you're researching. So I think that rural churches have an opportunity um, and have a responsibility and they are uniquely positioned to be agents of really important, meaningful community change, right? They are the leaders in their communities. Um, And we know this for a couple of reasons, like rural churches have four really great unique strengths that other churches don't have usually. Um, So one is that they're permanent. They're often the only permanent institutions in their communities. Um, When you look at a rural place, you don't have a ton of stakeholders and stakeholders or anchor institutions. And these anchor institutions that we talk about are things like hospitals and universities, um, corporate headquarters, philanthropies. Most rural places don't have a ton of corporate headquarters, right? Um, They don't tend to go pop up in rural communities. Uh, Philanthropy dollars tend to congregate in urban places and they stay in urban places. And we've seen rural hospitals across the nation close. What we do have is a ton of churches. So my church back in North Carolina, it was brought into the connection by Francis Asbury back in 1789. And since then, it's like it's been there forever, right? Since 1789. And there's a lake that's popped up. uh, University popped up around it. Schools have popped up. Schools have closed. Businesses have come and gone. But the church has perpetually been there. So there's this really great thing where the church is the institution that exists forever and ever um, in these rural places. Number two, so that's the first asset, right? They're permanent institutions. Um, Number two, they're trusted, which is really rare in our nation as a whole and our culture as a whole. People trust the people they go to church with in rural places. I mean, you know them on a very personal level. You know your pastor on a very personal level. And so we know that um, if you want something accomplished in your community, you can go and talk about it at your church. And we see this all the time, like on big issues like vaccinations, right? Um, And the COVID vaccines, one of the things that has been proven to shift people's perspective is, is it talked about in your church or not, right? And if it's talked about, however it's talked about in the church is going to persuade people one way or the other. On a more basic level, you know, if you're trying to start a business in your community, the people you're going to go ask for expertise and advice from are people in your congregation, So we trust each other in those places. Number three is that you have a really wide cross-section of the community. So in every rural congregation, um, you have teachers and nurses and small business owners and elected officials, and you're talking to each other constantly because you're all in this one place and there's not a lot of you, so you know each other well. And that leads to the fourth one, which is people are invested in these relationships. They care about these relationships. And so they're able to lead um, really high impact, low cost initiatives that offer meaningful transformation to the community. So when you take those four assets and you look at, you know, what is my church doing and what are the challenges in the community? Your church might be the only place in your rural 
context that is uniquely positioned to actually lead a meaningful change. So given these beautiful strengths, um, how do you see this um, understanding of vitality in rural congregations? So vitality is always an interesting concept in our denomination and in our culture as a whole. So I think we have to really think about what we mean by vitality, right? Um, At a very basic level, when we talk about an institution's vitality, we're talking about its health. Um, So is it a healthy organization and is it moving towards its goal? So what vitality doesn't mean is that it's necessarily big or large or growing. And we often like to think about vitality as meaning one of those three things. In our denomination, we tend to default to participation as our common metric of vitality. So when we look at average worship attendance, that's how we try to gauge what a vital congregation is. Um, Participation as a metric really doesn't tell you much other than like who showed up one day into a room, like who was present. So the parallel I like to give is that we're a small college, right? And so, you know, we have a little bit less than a thousand students. We're a vital college um, and there's a really easy way for us to grow. And that is we offer free tuition and give everyone an A. Um, That would really get a lot of students in our doors and in our classrooms and they would all come and it would be fantastic until we went broken, we closed because we weren't achieving our actual mission of educating and forming students to serve in their communities when they graduate. So participation by itself is really quite a bad metric. Um, So when I talk about rural church vitality, I want churches to be thinking, what does it mean for us to be a healthy institution? What does it mean for us to be achieving our mission? And what does that look like in our particular location and our particular community? So when we study churches that are vital rural congregations, they have three indicators that they all share. So one is that they have a strong theological identity, like they know themselves through their theology. And when we're able to like see that, we we see um, lots of people participating in spiritual formation. We see people understanding vocation in a really deep way. So what does it mean for me to be a Christian small business owner? And what is my responsibility to the community? And how is my church helping me articulate that and helping me understand that? Um, We see preaching that like corresponds to life in the congregation and the community. So when you leave church on Sunday morning, you have some thought about what does it mean for me to live this out on a weekly basis? And we see people who really have a lot of questions and curiosity about their faith. Um, they, They haven't just decided that they're at a stopping point. They're continuing to try to grow, right? So they have this strong theological identity. Number two, they have a commitment to the community. Um, So we talked about, you know, rural churches are an anchor institution. They're a permanent institution. And thriving churches understand that in a really interesting way. They know the whole story of the community, like the pains and the joys. They see where God is at work around them. Um, They also know where they've hurt the communities. They can articulate that. Um, They understand their particular role in the community. And they know where all the assets are in the community. So they know who the other nonprofits are. They know who um, people, where people are volunteering in their community. They know who needs help in their community and they know where those people are in their congregation. So this really strong awareness of the community and the commitment to the community. And then the third one is they steward their resources well. And this is when I think people often default just to money and that's part of it, right? We do need to keep our lights on. We need to keep our doors open. We need to pay bills, those sort of things. Um, but Stewardship is also about all of our assets, right? So are we stewarding our volunteers well? I mean, do we really appreciate the volunteers in our congregation who are giving 
their time and donations, even if they're not giving large checks every week? Do we, do we appreciate that? Do we appreciate the space that we have? So if you're a rural congregation, you might have one of the only gathering spaces in your county. I mean, really, if you're out in the country, like you might have one of the only places that people can gather. Are you use it, using that well? And then are you taking advantage of all the partnerships that you can take advantage of? Um, so do you, if you know about all the nonprofits in your community, do you know what they do and are you in conversation with them? Are you sharing your resources with them? So if you have people volunteering in your congregation, do you know where they're volunteering and are you um, allowing that to influence the work that your church is doing? Because that's a really natural bridge into the wider community. You know what I love about all of this, Alan, is those three um, indicators of vitality are, um, it offers such hope because it's like, oh, yeah, we, you know, we're doing two of three of those. So now we just need to work on the third one or, wow, we are really touching all three of these, but we can grow deeper in capacity in all, in all three of them. So, um, yeah, it's kind of moves from, oh, wow, we're losing worship attendance or loser status to we make a big difference in our community. Oh, yeah. And I, I think about uh, a couple of years ago, I was at a dinner and I, um, I asked everyone to sort of stand up and tell me the story of their congregation. And everyone without fault stood up and said, we are a small church. We have, you know, 30 people in our congregation and, you know, we don't have any kids. And then you move over to the next person, they stand up and, you know, we're a small church and um, we, you know, we only have 12 people at this church and 27 people at the other one. And it just goes down the line, right? Everyone is doom and gloom um, and almost apologizing for who they are. Right. And then the question and we said, so where do you see God at work? And then we start hearing these stories about um, a church that, you know, gathered around a student and bought them a laptop for them to go off to college, a student mm-hmm. that could never have afforded that laptop. And, if, you know, in college, you need a laptop now, right? That's an, that's an essential thing. Um, what a beautiful thing to give that student. Or we heard about churches that were launching these huge feeding ministries and partnership together where um, they were feeding, you know, something like 500 families a week or a month, sorry, 500 families a month. And I always was thinking like, start with that. Like, tell me that story, right? <laughs> Something's going right in your congregation if those things are happening. Right. So I I think my last question then is how do we then help these rural churches make that contextual shift? That's a really great question. And it doesn't have a silver bullet answer. Um, I wish it did. And if I ever find it, I'll uh, I'll let you know. I think there's sort of two things we have to do. So on the one hand, we need the denomination as a whole. We need our institutional leaders to really understand churches, rural churches in a deeper way, um, to really understand the potential of rural churches and to drop a lot of the assumptions we have. And, and you know, I'll, I'll point to one thing about vitality, right? So a lot of times the indicators we use for vitality or the advice we give just don't make sense. So in the Towers Watson report, right, we talk about, oh, you need more small groups for youth. Um, well, what if you're in a rural place where you have a lot of recent retirees moving in, which is a lot of our rural communities, like their, their largest growth is from recent retirees moving out of cities and into their rural places. Um, by focusing on youth, you're excluding that whole population, right? You're excluding people who have time and who have um, disposable income, right? You're excluding people who have passion, who want to be there. 
and you're focusing on a population that may or may not be there. So we need to think more deeply about like the actual context. And then for local churches, I think it also involves giving up assumptions about who you think you are. So um, just as the denomination has to kind of come up with better resources, rural churches need to have a better appreciation for their own gifts. They have to stop thinking about themselves as a dying church. They have to stop thinking about their goal as, you know, one of, we just want to grow and we want to get more people no matter what the cost is. Um, we really want churches, rural churches to understand that they are unique. They're different from suburban churches or different from urban churches. They have a particular role to play in their community. Um, and that means they have to really understand their local context. They have to really understand who is around their congregation and who's in their congregation and what gifts they bring. So I'm just going to go back to an earlier comment that you made about when you were first appointed to a rural congregation and what uh, the cabinet said to you. And I'm just imagining now if you were in um, talking to an appointed cabinet and a bishop, what, how would you suggest that when they make an appointment to um, a rural congregation, what would be your desire for them to say to that clergy person going there? Um, this is a question where I get in trouble sometimes. <laughs> oh, let's get in trouble. Let's stand boldly yeah. here. No, I, I think the biggest thing, and it's so a part of it is drop the assumptions about rural churches. Right. And, and part of that means, look, I, I'm really, I, I know a lot of our cabinets and a lot of our bishops started in rural parishes, but Rural places have changed significantly since a lot of us have started ministry. Mm -hmm. um, just as cities have changed significantly since a, like we've started ministry there. Um, I want them to have more imagination about what's possible. So we have people that are in seminary right now who are entertaining the idea of ministry because they want to make a difference in the world. They take seriously that call in our book of discipline, mm -hmm. right? Um, that we want to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Um, rural places are a place where you can do that, right? If you can help people in your rural congregation, or if you can help people in your rural community at your local school, read on grading level by the third grade, you have made a profound difference in your community. I mean, you have fundamentally transformed the DNA of that community. If you can help kids go to college, right? And as a pastor, if you've been through that seminary process, or even if you've been through course of study, you might know more about the college process than other people. If you can help people do that, um, you fundamentally alter the DNA of that community. And if you can help people have an appreciation for the, the gifts of their community, you've fundamentally transformed that community, right? I want the cabinet to also see that, that we need to send people to these communities that can pick up on that vision and that they can execute that vision, right? They can help, you know, design mentorship programs that give people an imagination for what's possible. They can um, work with nonprofits and um, create, you know, whole new initiatives that bring broadband to, you know, wherever, you know, or, or expand access to healthcare, whatever the issue is, like churches can do that and rural churches can do that in really effective, efficient easy, low cost ways. And so I, I would love the appointment, like the appointment process to reflect that and to have that imagination about these churches as well. And not just see them as a place of, okay, well, um, you're just starting out. So we got to get you, get some, uh, get, get some years under you and send you on. So we're going to stick you here for a couple of years before you move on. Yeah. This, this rural church will help, um, kind of like, um, file off the rough edges and 
get you ready for the next thing. <laughs> right. It's, I mean, it's almost extractive, right? Like we sent them to a rural church and then we're like, and we're sending you here because we believe in you. And in a few years, we're going to send you to an urban church, right? We're just going to take things out of the community and put it somewhere else. Like we're not actually giving anything to a rural congregation. We're just taking things away. Well, I'm really excited by this vision. I mean, I I can feel the excitement kind of welling up in me like, wow, what a great opportunity. So um, that's for the cabinet and the bishops. Um, What would you... um, what would you say to somebody who's being appointed for the first time to a rural congregation? What words of wisdom would you give them? If you have seen one rural place, you have seen exactly one rural place. Um, that's the first thing I always tell new people going into a rural parish, that whatever experience you had in a different congregation or a different rural community is not going to be the same as this one. So you really have to spend a lot of time getting to know that particular community. You don't go to Atlanta and assume that it's going to be the same as New York because they're both cities, right? You don't say like, I lived in one city and I know this city as well. Um, we do that with rural and it's quite strange. We would never do that with a city. So that's that's number one. Really, you're going to have to get to know this particular community. You're going to have to spend time really investing in the relationships. And investing in the relationships is part of the way you're going to lead that congregation. It's not something to shy away from. It's how you're going to make a meaningful impact in that community. Mm -hmm. So spend time really getting to know the congregation, spend time really building the relationships, relationships with the people in your church, relationships with the people in the community, relationships with all the nonprofits and other community leaders. Thank you so much, Alan. Um, I I would like to ask you if you wouldn't mind to um, end with a blessing for all pastors serving rural churches right now. Absolutely. May your ministry be one of surprise, one of hope, and one of life. And may you see the unique gifts and the unique ways that God is at work all around you. And most of all, may you join in and be transformed yourselves. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Field Preachers Podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.